0: All right, let's see how much trouble I can get into today. Uh, we, if you're a guest with us, uh, we tend to preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're in a particular passage today. It's a perhaps the most controversial text in the entire New Testament. And so uh, my, a lot of times when people get to passages like this, they, one, they go a different route, go around it, they GPS another way, or uh, they uh, try to talk about what the text does not say in order to make sure everyone knows that they're, you know. Inclusive and they don't hurt anyone's feelings. And so I'm going to do less of that today. I'm going to just ex- I'm going I am going to give caveats where I think need to be in order to keep us uh, in the text and what it means. But uh, my goal today is to explain more of what the text is saying, not just tell you what it's not saying. I want you to know what it is saying. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of us will bring you one if you don't own one. This is our gift to you. Take it, read it, believe it, treasure it, hide it in your heart. Follow it, obey it. So a little context before we get into our passage uh, is that we, we grow up, everyone in here, despite what you believe or what you think, you grew up in a culture that was was not uh, uh, shaped and formed by God's word of will and ways. Now, some of you grew up in cultures that were that were more clearly, I'm talking about the culture at large, maybe not your family unit, you know, I'm talking about the, the culture at large, America, uh, if you grew up in the United States. Uh, uh, you grew up in, in, in a, maybe some of you grew up in in following God's word, in some areas, or are a generation that did, but, but when I'm talking about largely uh, uh, at, at a large scale, what has happened in our country for uh, all of our lifetime has been uh, this, this, this uh, idea that there's no real distinctions um, of being, between genders. Uh, especially when it comes to the roles, there may be biological differences. Uh, now we're, we're questioning that, but but even even every single one of you grew up in a society that began to question God's word when it came to gender roles, particularly in the home and in the church. And so we have to understand that when it comes to God's word, uh, it's, it's likely that many of us uh, are, are relearning, resubmitting, reunderstanding, um, and, and, and trying to figure out what life is like in the kingdom. And so I'm gonna just read our passage today, and then um, I'm gonna do my best to um, explain it using other scriptures. And so uh, 1 Timothy two, verse eleven through fifteen. It says, "Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness." Now you know why we're in trouble today. Uh, do, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Just get better. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, a sinner. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they, meaning women, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Alright, that's where we're at. Pull the band-aid off, that's where we're headed. I want to start by just talking about verse 11, and then we're going to go through uh, other scriptures to help hopefully give us some context, give us some understanding about what the heck the Apostle Paul is saying here. Now, uh, let a woman learn quietly while all this. You read that off the bat, and you're going. Oftentimes, this, uh, those are fighting words. Uh, let me be clear. What Paul is saying is, let a woman learn. Would you rather someone come up here and say a woman should not be allowed to learn? Now, that's offensive. That would be offensive. That is not what he is saying. And so far too often, we get so caught up in the words quietly and submissiveness that we forget this paramount, awesome idea that Paul says the women in the church should be learning. He's he's opposing uh, some Jewish tradition that would forbid women from learning. He's going straight to, hey, let the women learn. Don't forbid them from learning. Don't hinder them from learning. The women need to learn God's word. They need to know God's word. They need to be able to, to teach God's word uh, to their children and, and to be able to follow the commands that God told his people in Deuteronomy and the blessings that follow. The, the wife, uh, if she has, if she has uh, children, needs to be able to teach her children. And then she needs to, able to teach the, the women that she knows in her disciple-making. Women need to know the Bible, Period. That is awesome. And it is counterintuitive maybe uh, to to, to some of the individuals in the church who would be reading this who came out of a a Judaic uh, background in a a sect that may not allow women to learn. He's starting off by saying, let the women learn in church. So this is where we got to start. Secondly, uh, Jesus taught women. So there would be no way to read this text in light of the entirety of the scripture to think that, that, uh, t- that women uh, uh, not being allowed to, to hear God's word and learn from God's word and be near God's word or to be near Jesus would be unfathomable. Jesus taught women. Our church in the well after the, the time where Jesus met a woman at the well. He, he actually met with and uh, spoke to and gave dignity and value to a woman who had been stripped of that based on her sin and her, and her culture and society and her upbringing. So, women should have high value. They should be respected. They should be honored. And Paul is doing that here in this verse. It's hard for us to see because we hear quiet, we hear submissive, and we hear baggage of, like I said in the beginning, the whole world that which you grew up in and you lived in has told you that this means something different. He said, "Let the woman to learn. Don't forbid them from learning. Additionally, quietly does not mean, this might, I'm going to give a couple of these. But it does not mean shut up. It, it doesn't mean tell the women to shut up or park it, close their mouth, like, you know, tape it, tape up your mouth, like whatever. It doesn't say any of that. Not Whatever foolish thing that you would think that it's saying, it's not. Nice. He is saying uh, that, that the women who should be eager to learn would do so in a posture of, of, of gentleness and peacefulness. Quietness and quietly is what he is saying. This is an attitude, not a. Uh, should she be able to talk in the church doors? This is an attitude. This is, a, a woman should be not ready to argue, but ready to listen and learn from God's word. This is an attitude problem issue here, not a, uh, uh, an octave problem. It's an attitude here, a quiet heart, a gentle spirit. That's what he's communicating here. Now, submissiveness, it means what it means. Submissive, to submit to, but to who? To what? We all in here are to submit to God's word. This is what we submit to. Anyone who deviates from God's word should be held accountable to God's word and therefore be called to submit or repent to it. If you're in leadership in the church, leadership in the home, if you uh, are at a school, at a work, whoever you are, government, any society, any culture, anyone, anywhere who breathes on planet earth is called to submit to God's word. Every person. So we shouldn't hear that a woman should learn quietly while submissiveness uh, when she's hearing and being taught the Word of God as some sort of uh, uh, arbitrary, crazy-eyed concept. Everyone in here, when the Word of God is preached, we should be submitted to it. Myself included. We submit to God's Word. Now, so that's the intro. That's the context. I say that to go, uh, ladies in here, let's practice this today. I'm going to teach God's Word. I'm going to teach you what the rest of this passage means with a lot of other scripture. So if you are a guest, don't be brought us that because uh, we may be here for a while. And we're going to start this way. How we view the Bible matters. How we view the Bible matters. There's three ways in which uh, people tend to view the Bible. And so I want you to listen to it here and see if I can. If, if you are in one of these three categories, one person views the Bible is the Bible is wrong. They're totally against God. They're totally against His Word. They're against uh, the Bible. They're against it. One who would say the Bible is wrong would probably say that the culture or life experience uh, tells us what's true. Truth is found through experience, not the Word of God. Because we don't believe the Bible, God's Word, you know, that position says so the Bible is wrong. There's another, another view that says the Bible is right, but it needs to conform and be edited and change as culture changes. That is something that Paul has argued about in chapter one up to this point to avoid teachers like this, like that, who would say the, God's word needs to be edited and changed with different cultures and different times. It's not timeless, but it's, it's ever-changing. Whatever the culture is, it needs to adapt to it. Rather, the culture submitting to God's word, this view would say that uh, the, the, the Bible needs to change. This is, uh, this is the world you grew up in taking translations, even changing uh, pronouns, even happening in some of the major uh, uh, Bible translations in our day. And so there's the third view, which is our view, which is the Bible's view, is that the Bible is right and true, and we must therefore interpret our culture, our experience, everything we we experience in life through the lens of the Scripture. We must therefore submit to God, His Word and His will and His ways, and when we find ourselves believing things that God doesn't believe or say or think, we, it is our job to, to not stand on God's word and tell him to change, but rather submit ourselves underneath it and allow the spirit of God to change us. And so uh, what it, the issue of, of what Paul is making here, and he's primarily talking about authority, he's primarily talking about, stories, primarily talking about uh, headship and teaching and, and, uh, and elders, where he's going to get to next week, but, but I want you to see he's going to root his entire argument His entire argument is not rooted in culture. His entire argument is rooted in creation. That's what he does. He goes back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and builds his case. Everything we just see from from verse 12 down is built off of what happens in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to head there. And so we're going to spend some time walking through Genesis one, two, and three, getting a greater context for that, and then heading back into the first two. If you've been with us for a while, we just a year ago uh, we're in Genesis. We studied Genesis. We've studied this. We have uh, several sermons on this. You can go back and listen to it. But I want to be brief today. First thing I want us to see, it's found in Genesis one twenty-seven. That that man and woman have equal dignity and value as image bearers of God. That's what the Bible says. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. That word right there is uh, uh, he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. What kind? Male and female he created them. Those are God made gender binary from the beginning. That's not a political statement. That's not a cultural preference. That's a God who said it and that's where we where we find ourselves. So if you are the person who hears that and you're like, I don't like that. I don't, that that doesn't fit with my cultural understanding. Then you probably don't have the right view of the scriptures. That God is right, we're wrong. We got to change. It. That's how we view the scriptures. And so in light of that, and, and you need to understand this: no one grew up thinking that way. We all grew up in rebellion against God. No one grew up and said, you know what? Uh, you know that's it's my heart is totally locked into everything God. God's word, one of the ways. No, we our hearts are are, are led astray. We'll get to why here in a moment. But he, the image of God, God is, uh, is 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God uh, in three persons. This is important because the, the Godhead, the Father eh, is eh, The Father is God. I know this can be hard to understand. I'm gonna be brief. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. There's one God, but they exist in three persons. The Father, however, is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit either. They are are one God eternally existing. We have one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were there in creation. So when God created male and female in the image of God, he created male and female in an image of a hierarchical, uh, organized Godhead. The Son always, Jesus Christ the Son, always submits perfectly to the will of the Father. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says he does nothing that the Father tells him not to do. He's in submission. The Holy Spirit, additionally, does every He is submitted fully and forever to Jesus. He does not operate outside of the authority of, of, of his divine uh, uh, nature. The Father is the head. God, this is even... And so. If, there's, if you say that the Son is not equal to the Father, or the, son, the Spirit is not equal to the Father, you, you misunderstand and you, you are a heretic and you don't know you're God. So, that is, so when we say men, what we're going to see next is uh, mankind is... Male people are equal in value, but they're different in function. In the same way, the, the function of the Father, the function of the Son, and the function of the Holy Spirit, they function differently. They're equal. They're all... It's one God. Equal. We'll find out later that male and female, when they get married, they become one. There's still two people, two persons. There's one, They're one, there's a one there. And it's rooted not in themselves. It's rooted in their maker, their God who created them and put his stand, and his image on them. So male and female are equal in value, but they function differently. How so? Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 to 25 says this that the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So singleness is not a good thing unless God has given you that through uh, the Holy Spirit. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it is not a gift that has been given at this point. It is not. Marriage few men get it, and so singleness is not something that we should uh, seek after unless God has called you to it. Primarily, most men in here, God is calling you to be married. Why? Because you need it, just like Adam. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is true. Most men need a wife. Uh, because they're they're unfit, they need a helper to help fit them. And now the the ground, the Lord had God had uh, formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens uh, were brought to them and to to the man to see what he would call them. This is Adam exercising authority. Adam is naming the animals. That's a deer. That's a goat. That's a bear. That's a lion. Later he's going to name woman. He's going to get to name her. What this is, is an exercising of authority. And in the Bible, when the authority is given, responsibility must follow. Adam is functioning different in that uh, his responsibility is in chief authority. Uh, his wife is coming alongside and she is a helper helping him in. So whatever the man called the living creature, that's what his name was. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. This happened before he was there. He had named the animals, deer, goat, all of these things. I like the elk. There we go. We have a man's best friend. A dog was there. He names them. He names them. And it wasn't good. This is how we know that a dog, no offense to you guys, is not your best friend. Uh, because he had them. He had a lot of them. He had all the animals. Yeah. So... He was still, there was no help of fit for him. And he was alone. He did not have a companion. He did not have a friend. He did not have a wife. He needed one. And so, what did God do? He, called, he calls him to go to sleep. Oh, man. and man. In the fall, uh, sleep, need to sleep to fall, oh, man. While he was asleep, he took, he did some surgery. He took uh, one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And that rib that the Lord God had taken from the side, or to or, the rib that he took and, and clothed, or sorry, he had taken from the, the man, he had made into woman and brought her to the man. But what did he say? The man said. He starts singing in the, in the Hebrew. This is a song. This is what every man should do when he meets the woman who married. marry. And starts singing. That life, this at last is bone my bone, flesh my flesh. She shall be called woman. He names her as well because she was taken out of man. Paul's going to refer to this later. Woman was was formed out. Uh, out of the rib of Adam. Adam was not formed out of woman. Therefore, he says, this is, how you sh- this is the paradigm for the rest of the men in all human history, how they get married. They should leave their father and mother and they should hold fast to their wife and, and shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed as God intended us to be. Well, what's going on here? He, There's this, uh, God creates Adam first. This is the precedent that Paul's going to appeal to later, that there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's something about in the creation order uh, and significance, according to Paul's argument, about being created first. It's, it's this leadership position, this authority position, uh, that, and a responsibility position that Adam has over not only his wife, but also those who would uh, come after him and, and the animals and the, and the, the world that he, he oversees. It's the same way that a child, a two-year-old, is not in authority over their parent. Who came first? The parents. There's significance here in creation order. Additionally, we see throughout the entire book of Genesis, which we spent 51 hours studying, so I'm not going to go through it there. God continues to call a man Adam and then find heads of households throughout the entirety of the book of Genesis That. You get Abraham, you get Isaac, you get Jacob, you get Joseph. These are patriarchs that God calls, God makes head through the through the created order that he started with Adam. And they're to continue to lead and exercise dominion and authority in a way that Adam was supposed to do, in a perfect godliness, in a, in a, in a way that uh, was to create flourishing for men, women, children, for worlds, for nations, for everybody. So at this point, everything's going great. Eve is, notice that she's created on the side about him. This is because she is the work next to him. Not out in front, not behind, next to him. She is a companion. She is a friend. She is near to his heart. She should be cared for by him. And she should be next to him. And so there is a significance here but there's also significant, there's a significance there's a significance in that Adam's created first uh, but there's also a significance in the woman being created by, out of Adam in his side but also the point here is that she is to be a, help, a helper guess who else gets that title of helper the Holy Spirit this is when anyone gets offended by a woman being a helper I'm like man you must hate God why? Well, one, he made you that way. Number two, that's what the Holy Spirit is called. I don't like being helper, man. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the one, the, the God. It is is God, the Holy Spirit, not the uh, one. We uh, one God, the Holy Spirit. He empowered Jesus for his entire life, work, and ministry. you are like, no, nah, I don't want to be helper. He's The the Holy Spirit, you cannot be a Christian and live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit. A husband can't continue his mission according to Genesis without his wife, the helper. Helper is not a derogatory term, but but a high, elevated, lofty term. The Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, shares his title with Eve in the same way that God the Father shares his title with Adam or any father and our world wants to say, you no, know, all genders do the exact same thing. There's no distinction. It's not true. The father is a father. There's not mother God. There's a father. There's Holy Spirit, and a wife gets the great title to share the Holy Spirit, named her. It's awesome. It's significant. It's powerful. And so, Adam names. And shows authority. He gets married. He's loving his wife. He's leading his wife. They're serving uh, together. They're exercising dominion. They're ruling. They're on mission together, side by side. And then Satan shows up. Now we end in chapter 3. Satan, sin, and Adam and Eve. Now, the serpent, that Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hear this. This matters where we're going here in a moment. Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Some of you would be quick to, to hear go back to our pastors and go, is did God actually say this? Or like, does the Greek mean something different? And then there's thousands of pages of pastors who try to go that route. Don't be that guy. poor girl, answer the question. Did God actually say this? The answer was yes, he did. She says, she agrees. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, all of them. But God said, you shall not eat but the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, first, Satan is trying to, he speaks to Eve and says, she calls God's commands into question. God's created commands, that God created, like, hey, did he really say that? So we've got to be careful. And when he said, well, did really say that? And when he said, yes, like, okay. She did a good job, yes, he does. Then what does he do? He lies to her. He says, but The servant said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Oh, God said you would die. No, he's wrong. The book, it's wrong. It's not true. He lied to you. God lied to you. How can you trust him? What she's doing is trying to eat, eat, The Satan is doing. He's trying to get her to disbelieve and distrust God. He continues He says, for God knows. It's funny because it's like, you're telling me what God knows and I'm created in his image and you're a snake. Like, shut up, dude. Uh, for God knows when you eat of this, or uh, even if your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, he lies because number one, he/she is already like God. We just read it; she's made in the image of God. So God hasn't withheld anything from her. God's done the good to her. She's made in the perfect image of God. There's no sin. God's not withholding good, and he says oh, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. These are sowing seeds of doubt, making her think that somehow that God is withholding many women when it comes to the passage we're in in 1 Timothy 2 is that we feel that somehow that that what Paul is saying is is trying to keep a woman in in suppression and God is somehow withholding many women in the scholarly realm uh, particularly in the non-Christian arena uh, hate the Apostle Paul and feel this way that he is somehow trying to squash a woman's dignity and value but I need us, us to see that if that were true then why is he appealing to creation culture. This is, for sin. She doesn't even, sin has not entered the world yet. And so, we continue. So when the woman, Eve, saw the tree was good for food, it looked good, it felt good, it tasted good, and it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What she thinks is, have you ever thought this way, this is what sin does, like, it's not going to kill me. Like, he says, I'm not going to die, like, I'm not going to die, like. I mean, it looks good. So she says she saw it looked good. Uh, it was good for food, so she wasn't going to die. There was a delight in it, so she saw it. It looks good. feels good. Probably should do it. At least give it a try once, right? And then he gave her some, he, he, he then said, and she says that it was it was desire to make her wise. Here's the deal. You know what wisdom is? Obeying God. Eating the tree was disobedience. This wasn't going to make her wise. Eating the tree was foolishness and folly. This is the scheme of sin. That's what happens. What happens? She saw it was good, and so what she do? She took the fruit and ate it. And then what she do? Where's her husband? By her side. What is he doing? What is he doing? Nothing. That's the problem. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then both, uh, both or their, the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves long cloths. This is what he does. It makes us want to hide. It makes us want to cover in shame. I remember one of the first times my, I think it was my oldest son, he was guilty of something, and, he, and we caught him in and something. And he went and, like three years old, two years old, went and ran and hid under his bed. didn't want to talk. Immediately when he was aware of his sin, what does he do? He hides. He still do the same. Instead of running to God, we run from God. So what sin does, it doesn't lead us to God, it leads us away from him, even in our response, even in our And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So what they do, they hid from God. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. By the way, you can't do that. Uh, among the trees, even trees. In the garden, sin makes you do stupid stuff. Like It makes you think that you're not sin will be found out. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" Notice this. This is the point here. I want to make. Eve sins first. She is deceived. Yet it is Adam who the Lord shows up to. So when we say that they're equal in value but different in function, uh, they have equal men and women have equal in dignity and value, uh, but they function differently. Um, Eve is the helper to Adam. Adam should be leading serving, protecting her. He does not. And so what does God do? God calls him out. God calls him out. Adam, I don't know if he taught her or what, but it seems like he did because she didn't know that they were not supposed to eat the fruit. And so Adam was to lead his wife and love her in such a way that he was to teach her, let her learn. Just like Paul is telling the woman in the church she should have been learning, she should have been knowing so that she could fight Satan also, in addition, that Adam should have been there, her head, her protector, her husband, he should have stepped in and killed Satan instead of letting him deceive his wife. So what does God do? He calls Adam out. Adam, you're the leader, you're responsible. Eve was deceived, I want you to see this, Eve was deceived, Adam was not. So Paul says, we'll get back to it in a moment, Eve was deceived, the serpent tricked Eve. Adam wasn't deceived. He was listening the whole time going, "Hey, that tree looks good. I know what God says. I'm not to argue. I'm just going to it. This is what men do. Ladies, you need to know this. That men sin woefully. It's important for you to know, especially if you're dating somebody. Men sin woefully. They do. Ladies, this is offensive, you're more likely to be deceived. By who? Men. As they sin woefully They often trick This is any case of abuse Or sexual allegations Is like All these dudes tricked women They're predators they, they follow Adam and Satan And just let things happen Instead of leading out of The conviction of the Lord Jesus Protecting women and children Like it was designed to do That's what male headship. That's what men are supposed to do and So what has got do? He curses the world And so here it goes and The curse is sin Satan gets a—we're not going to read it—but Satan gets a curse. His portion of the curse is that because he deceived Eve, uh, he's going to get his head crushed, Uh, not by Adam like he should have been, but by Jesus. Jesus would come and cut off the the head of the serpent, Satan. Jesus gave a leap of blow to Satan and his demons at the cross, where he was, where Jesus stood in the place of Adam's sin, stood in the place of your sin, stood in the place of my sin, stood in all our our, the place for all our sin and bore our shame and our guilt and was killed and crushed on behalf. Uh, the serpent was, was simply bit his heel and Jesus crushed his head. Jesus raised his victoriously. And so it speaks to that in prior verse 16. But in verse 16, it says that the woman said, Genesis 3.16. Uh, this is the, uh, to the woman God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. We're going to come back to that. And in, in, in the pain you shall bring forth children. And if you women had children, you know that labor is painful. Why? Because of sin. Your desire, this is important for us to see, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In the nature, the sin nature of a woman's heart, there's not only rebellion uh, against God, but there's a rebellion against her husband. uh, Because of, and probably likely because the the woman was deceived and her husband didn't step in, she's like, I don't trust him anymore. Many women who don't want to uh, follow their husbands are afraid of male leadership. It's probably because they've seen, they've seen or experienced um, a man in leadership that was like Adam. Did not protect, lead, love, or serve them, but, but maybe used his power and authority to manipulate, deceive, abuse, or to allow harm to come to her. She's so like, I don't want anything to do with that. That's probably how you feel. But that's part of, uh, there's, a, there's still, Adam needs to repent, she needs to repent, and they say, because of this sin, God says it's going to keep going through generations, even today. Verse 17, and Adam, to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten the tree which I commanded you not to. You sinned woefully, eyes wide open. You knew exactly what was going on, Adam. You shall not eat it. Curse me the ground because of you. You know what? Because of you, Adam? Everything is cursed. Everything. The whole ground. Like just his land? No, everyone's land forever and always. See, Adam wasn't just in charge of, like, he wasn't just the, the head of, of Eve, but he was head of mankind. Not just the ground that he's going to get his food from, but the ground that the animals are. He was supposed to rule over the animals. Not their curse because of him. See, this is the problem. Men, you often think that your sin only affects you and maybe one other person. Adam's sin ruined the entire world. Entire world is you see this in Romans 5. We're not going to go to it because uh, uh, it's a lot of text packed. But essentially, Paul says to the Romans in chapter 5, he says that um, though he made first, Adam was responsible. Sin comes through Adam, is what Paul tells us in Romans 5. God holds Adam accountable for the sin uh, of the entire world. And he says, through Adam came sin. Through sin came death. And Adam is responsible. Though Eve ate and was deceived first, it was Adam's responsibility. And therefore, the entire world uh, has been, we're not living in the curse. We, we are sinners by nature, meaning we inherited this curse. And we're also sinners by choice. We willfully follow in his uh, disobedience as well. He says, in pain you shall eat all the days of your life. What he's saying here to the man is that the ground fights against you like you fight against God. This, this curse is a reminder to the man, just like work is hard, uh, it is a reminder that that's how we treat God, as, as the, the labor we have, the ground we work, the jobs we have rebel against us, it's a reminder that that's how you rebel against God. You ever had a bad day at work? Just know that you should be lucky that you're living, God has a lot of grace towards you, you are worse than that. Man, I thought this was church, So is good news. This is the news. This is the news. It's really bad news, actually, that we rebelled against God. People turn on evil in the world. You know what's evil? Rebelling against God. What we're seeing in the world we live in today is not simply evil. It's fruit of evil. It's fruit of continual rebellion. And so while Adam did not take responsibility, Jesus did. This is the news. Jesus came. But hear hear this. He came through uh, a woman. But notice this, he came through a virgin woman. Why? Because mankind's seed is corrupted. Mankind can only produce sinners. So there had to be a supernatural birth that that it it was not because God didn't like sex or that was weird. uh, But it was was not because anything like that. It was because Eve and Adam, or or, sorry, uh, Joseph and Mary couldn't conceive together and have a a, a sinless child. God put Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. Sinless virgin birth. Why? Because mankind's line was corrupted. So Jesus is born of a virgin. That's why this virgin birth matters. The whole world world is cursed because of Adam, but it has become saved and redeemed. Salvation comes from Jesus. So Jesus enters the womb of Mary. And then through him becomes the Savior of the world. Childbirth of Jesus Christ ends up being the Savior. She uh, births the Savior of the entire humanity. Just God undoing what mankind did. This is awesome. Jesus took the responsibility of sinful man and woman, Adam and Eve. The wage of sin was death. So Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life in your place my place for our sin, died in our place because he took our sin upon him, that through his resurrection now he can give us his life through faith and so, when Adam failed to kill the snake Jesus didn't fail, he killed the snake but here's the reality and this is why this passage in 1 Timothy, we're going to head back into it here right now, here's why it's hard, because just like Adam was passive did not step up and kill this thing. So far too often men in leadership and men in general follow the same passive pattern of Adam and allow women, kids, children, the world to be deceived, harmed. And this pattern has been replicated throughout generations and men being the passive cowards like Adam have left in their wake women who have been harmed, hurt, abandoned, abused, so we read passages like this. You're like you, some of you women, and some of you uh, understand that it's really, really, really hard to see male headship and male leadership as a noble thing. So we got to understand that that's where something may be coming from. But you got to understand how you got, how we got to where we were was not was was not because of uh, creation. Uh, how God ordained things in creation. It's, how we got here was through sin. Jesus was the Savior. How we would redeem and fix what was broken is not by figuring things out on our own. It's by repenting and going back to God's word, will, and way. So now let's head back into First Timothy chapter two. Now, Timothy Paul's talking to Timothy, his primary concern here is, is the women should be learning. They should be in a he's going to talk about the authority in the church. he's going to get into qualifications of who should be in authority in the church. And so, uh, back to verse 11, he says, let a woman learn quietly and call submissiveness. Submissiveness, we spoke to that. Now, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. See, I need you to see still the emphasis here is on the woman learning. That the comment of her remaining quiet is again, this posture, this humble heart, this submission, this going, hey, I'm here wanting to learn. Because women ought to learn. Why? So that they can teach, they can have some doctrine. So that they don't get deceived like Eve. So we want our women to, to know God. We want him to know his word. My daughters are great theologians, and hopefully, by the grace of God, they'll be greater theologians than I will ever be. And so, like, we're not we're not against women learning. We emphasize that underscore it, exclamation one too. What Paul is talking about here is, is teaching authority. The issue of teaching and the teaching authority and the office of authority in the church. And so he's not against women knowing their Bible or teaching their Bible, particularly to women and children. Uh, that's tied to, we don't have time to go there right now. But what he's talking about is the highest authority <coughs> in the church. What is the highest authority in the church? The Word of God. This is the authority, God's Word. And so to teach it, like I'm doing right now, to preach it, this is an exercising of authority. That only people who are qualified, according to the standards of the scripture, should be allowed to do it. This is why, you know, people argue, well, the, the, the church down the street has a woman pastor. and you, you start talking, every, every one of you will take your experience from wherever you come from and bring it to the table, and, and that's fine. Really, the problem is probably not... Uh, how we view women in leadership in churches, how it really goes down to how we view the Word of God. Let's start. How do? What is this? Is this the authority? We believe it is. Therefore, we believe that what Paul is saying in in this is that the, the teaching office is reserved to the qualified men in the church; those being the elders. He talks about later those who labor in preaching, teaching should be uh, worthy of double honor. This is a high calling and one that one will be held accountable. for. Forward because we are to submit not only word and deed to the word of God, but also to herald it uh, so that everyone else will submit to God's word as well. And so, authority of the church, male elders only. And we're going to talk about this in depth next week, but I want us to get here. The fact that that that, that Paul is telling uh, the women that he doesn't permit them to exercise authority or teach in the office of the elder here, uh, you're like, okay, well then... Men get to be the elders? No, that's not true. He says this. You have to be qualified. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's it. The word elder, pastor, bishop, any of those words, they use them interchangeably throughout the entirety of the New Testament. So when we say elder, we mean pastor. We say pastor, we mean elder. That's what we mean. Overseer, pastor, same thing. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. We'll get into the rest of the qualifications next week. But I need us to see, to underscore this point in this text, to understand. Because many of you will hear that Paul says he doesn't permit a woman to teach in an authoritative way, to preach, to be a pastor, to be an elder. And you will go, that's not fair. You'll also go, "Uh, then all men are just allowed to do it? No, only qualified men. Only qualified men. It matters. This is why I get so frustrated with churches that don't care about uh, the authority of the scripture. They don't care about the office of the elder. They don't care. They essentially don't care about their people. This is where you get the world we live in with abuse culture and churches is that, they, that the men were not qualified. Because if they were disqualified, they should be removed. So... In the name of Jesus, and many cowardly pastors like Adam have allowed Jesus' church to be harmed. And so many women will go, this just isn't fair. If a guy's done a really bad job, then at least a girl should take a shot at it because, you know, they're not doing what's right. Here's what we've got to understand. One sin uh, replaced by another sin does not equal righteousness. So why, some of you might be saying, well then, why would a woman be forbidden to the office of an elder? or to, to be a pastor, or to not have authority. You know, say, you know, say just like the serpent said to Eve. So we already hear this in your mind. Withholding the pastor from the woman, that must be the good for her. Surely, the role is to be desired. Look at it. Say, what? Men and women should not desire this. Unless God calls you to it. But here's an example. Numbers no, 16, verses 1 through 3. So, what we do is we use, I want to give you an example of, of other people in the Bible who have that same position. That's not fair. And ask the question, is God withholding? So, verses 1, there's this guy, Korah, and he's from the tribe of Levi, and then there's some Reubenites. That's verse 1. Verse 2, they rose, so these men, they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chose from the assembly, well-known men. This is the pastor who has the YouTube channel, the guy who got the book deal, who's going to go in and tell you what First Timothy uh, 2 means and how it's inclusive and how it doesn't say what it actually says and how, you know, culture and how uh, acceptance and how, you know, we shouldn't be narrow-minded. That's that guy. This guy who's going, yeah, God said it, but aren't they believe the lie that of, of Satan, like, if we forbid a woman from being a pastor, then we're we're withholding good from her. That's this men, well-known men, 250 men. What they do? They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron and said to them, "You have gone too far." Context here: the issue was who gets to be a priest. the the, the priestly line was through a specific line, but but it, it was through the line of Aaron. And so they're they're upset that the Reubenites. Not everyone can be a priest. And Korah is going to make his appeal in number sixteen and argue that that see all these people are godly. They're all Christians. They're all part of the church. So they should all have access to the throne room to make sacrifices. This is this was forbidden even from God's kings when King Uzziah wanted to go. Thought the same way. Uh, and when, he, when King Uzziah wanted to go burn incense on the off, off uh, the, uh, to offer incense on the altar of incense, when he did that against the command of the priest, God struck him with leprosy. Because he was forbidden from it. The, the privilege of the priest were, were, were not privileges that showed dignity and value to the, the priest, but it was just how God had orchestrated it. So Korah and his followers demanded that they should have all the access uh, to the presence of God in the tabernacle like the priest was. So they stood, they girded their loins and said let's go Moses. So guess what God did? He killed them. 250 split the, the ground and they died. It's like I find it real funny that people go to God's word and they're like that's just so unfair and like God's holding good. Eve did that and what happened? Adam sinned as well. What happened? Mankind gets cursed. The issue here is not good intentions. I'm sure Korah looked around and go, man, like, why can't they all be priests? Like, we're all humans, right? We're all good. We're all Christians. We're all good. Here's the answer, because God said so. When we get in the presence of Jesus forever, you can ask them the question. And see, so here's the reality. When it comes to, to obedience, we, we ought to be the people that hear God's word and go, yes, I agree, and we obey and then we can ask the question, why, but after obedience. for I teach my kids. You can ask why, but after you obey. This isn't a negotiation. I'll tell you why and then, okay, maybe you'll do it. No. What if it's get out of the way of the road before the car hits you and kills you? I don't have time to discuss this. Get out of the road, and I'll tell you why. Obey immediately. And then we can talk about it. This is just this answer we don't really get a full answer to. It's just God, how he ordained Paul roots it in that it has, something to, it has something to do with the way we are created. Male and female, different. Equal and valuable have different functions. And so, was God withholding good from, from Quran? No. See, what, this is what sin seeks to do in Satan's lies, seek to dismantle God's created order in telling us the lie that God is withholding from us. God was not withholding from Quran. He wasn't meeting this. He was withholding it all. So you're like, oh, no, he withheld the cops. right. And he withheld the tree from Eve. You're right. Here's what I'm saying God is not withholding something from Eve or from Korah or from women that would hinder them to flourish according to his design. Eve did not need to eat of the tree to be whole. A woman does not need to fulfill the office of an overseer, uh, and if she doesn't, she is lacking. She's not. She's equal in value. Men and women, they function differently. So male-only elders, women not preaching with holiness office is not about hindering a woman flourishing. Just like God forbidding Adam and Eve from eating of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil wasn't. Uh, withholding to keep them from flourishing, but rather withholding to protect them for their good. Some of you will immediately feel, I don't need protection. I don't like that. I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like if that's how you feel. That's okay. When someone breaks into your house and you know, the cops, you do know, That's what you do. We all do it. We need protecting. Whether it's a spider or a burglar, there's something in the heart of everyone that that wants to be protected. We're told that God is unprotected. A refuge or strength. And so the, the, the lie that anyone in here would say that they don't need protecting is saying that they don't need God. They don't need his word. They don't need submission. So I'll end with, oh, we'll, move to, we'll move to the last one. This is not about gifting. I need you to hear me say this. This is the lie that uh, we'll wrap it up. This is not about gifting. This isn't women don't have gifts of teaching. This is women don't have gifts of authority. The women don't have opportunity to, they're, they're not really smart. This is not about that. No, they really are. They're every, they're all that. This has nothing to do with, with the with the gifts of a woman. The Holy Spirit has given gifts equally or distributed according to his will, but I don't, I mean, he hasn't withheld uh, gifts from women or to men. Women can teach. It's not an issue of gifting. The matter is not a matter of gifting The matter is not a matter of culture But the matter is a matter of creation So He roots it back into creation Into Genesis like we have just been to Verse 13 For Adam was formed first See he was formed first Which gives him a different position And authority And then Eve Adam was not deceived See what he said he did, Adam did not get deceived But the woman was deceived Became a transgressor. Did Adam sin? Yes. Was he deceived? No. Adam sinned willfully. Eyes wide open. This is why I say it's dangerous dating a guy. I really do. This is the, the world we live in. I just think that this verse did not get exclamation marked enough because that's the reality. Men are prone to willfully sin, they're also prone to deception. It's like, oh, he's just a nice guy. He's a guy. He's not nice. Like that's not his default. Men should be in submission, under authority, with God's men. That's how you know he's a little bit safer. And then you, as a father, should oversee that 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 dating, that that relationship. And the men in the church should be looking around, going, "I I know the hearts of these men. So if they're dating somebody, I'm going to try to get to know them." We need to protect the women and children. And it's through men who submit to God's word, willing and ways, and they are willing to, uh, to to be open and honest that we sin willfully. Can a man be deceived? Yes. Can a woman sin willfully? Yes. Primarily, oftentimes, frequently, women are deceived more than they are. Or men are men just act dumb and just do it. Next thing I say, oh, I just was tricked, liar. It's like easy. It's only you're like, man, this is this is life changing. Now it explains a lot. It doesn't. And so, women are equal and equal. Women and women are equal in standing before God. They're equal in dignity and value. But hear me this: they are not interchangeable. He's going to root what he's saying in childbirth. Up until most recently in our world, no one has ever conceived the possibility that a man could bear a child. They can't, by the way. But, he, but we live in a world that says that they can. And what that does is it takes a woman and devalues her, maligns her, and squashes her. And it takes the, uh, the the gender roles that God has made and equals them out so much so that now a woman has no distinction. And so, so long, many people were like, well, men and women can do the same thing, same thing. But, like, you know, there's a motherly heart, motherly love. Now that doesn't exist anymore. And that's what happens when you deviate from God's word. Eventually, genders don't matter. Eventually, value doesn't matter. Eventually, we rebel so far that their life has no purpose and meaning and genders and, and organization and structures just about power and fighting and destroy ourselves in doing it. So we see in the early passages of Genesis, men and women are not interchangeable, but they are equal in value. They are different And so verse 15, it's a difficult passage. He says, yet this woman, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue faith and love and holiness and self-control. It's a difficult passage. What he's saying here, though, is is that first, we must see, when you come to a difficult passage in Scripture, you've got to interpret it through the clear passages in Scripture. What's clear throughout the entirety of the Scriptures is that salvation and justification righteousness have been uh, made available through faith in Jesus alone. So what he is not saying is that salvation, uh, uh, eternal security, uh, sin of uh, forgiveness comes through having kids. That's not what he's saying. He's not contradicting himself. He's saying that, so, so to be clear, salvation is through Jesus alone. There's, there's salvation and there's this word called sanctification. Salvation or justification is is the process of being declared holy, where Jesus looks upon you and says, uh, you are holy because of his work, not yours. He puts his righteousness on you, holy. That's justification. Salvation, that's salvation justification. Uh, Sanctification is the process of living out that holiness. To be more like your creator. To becoming more holy in word and deed. And so what he's saying is that through childbearing, motherhood is is not the only way, but one way that a woman is sanctified and man holy. For having kids. And so motherhood helps a woman grow in Christ, is what he's saying. And it 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 teaches her about uh, God's view of children. When a woman has a child, things change. When it's pregnant, things change. It's 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 rooted here. In the in creation, it's rooted in it in sanctification. Because being a, being a mom is, is quite hard, and so motherhood is not. And you must hear this, ladies. Motherhood is not a hindrance to your life, as culture will tell you. It's not a hindrance. It's a blessing. Like, well, it doesn't allow me to do the things I used to do. Yeah, because God doesn't want you to do, he wants you to do the mother thing like, well, I'm missing out. See, that's what you start doing. Or your default is to go, well, I'm missing out. I, uh, God's withholding. Uh, someone else's life is better. You start coveting. This is not how God designed you to live. Motherhood is designed to help you uh, see the reality of your sin and your selfishness and your desire to not be alone and your, and your willful disobedience against uh, uh, submission to God, His word and His ways. And, and you see that through your children because they do that to you. They're the fruit of your labor. And it's a kind reminder that we all need mercy and grace. Motherhood is, is to be done, and he says, with uh, in, in, in a posture of faith, love, holiness, and self control. Meaning it takes the Holy Spirit to be a godly mother, to live by the power of the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Moms, if you want to be a, a, a helpful wife and a helpful mother to your children, then live and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in conclusion, women, babies, learn. We don't want to hinder you from learning. Let a woman learn. Let a woman love. Let her serve the church. Don't hinder that. Use your full array, array of giftedness as God's designed. You're equal to man value. You're different in you are uniquely and gloriously different. Wield your femininity uh, to give life and bless others to Jesus' church, to those who extend beyond these walls. The, only, the, the thing he is forbidding and talking about here is simply exercising the which is reserved to the office of the mountain, which is the point of our passage here and which is the qualifications we will get into next week. And so my... My, my plea for us to respond is to agree with God. To agree with Him. To surrender. To submit to His word on ways. To be aware of our proclivity. To, uh, to, to to assume the worst of God. That He is withholding. You are missing out. That, that, that others in culture and everything you look at is telling you about the gospel. And that, that Jesus, His gospel is not enough. In Jesus, men, women, and children in this room, if you know a lot trust Jesus, that is enough. He's put his spirit in. He loves you. You're adopted. You're sealed. You're Son and daughter. So the way we're going to respond today is we're going to uh, we're going to take communion. And so I'm going to invite the band up and then I'll accept that he's going to lead us through a time of communion. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we submit to you your word, will the ways and ask that the things that we've that you've spoken through your word may it be clear uh, to our hearts and we respond in obedience to our first obedience. Help, help the ladies in this church see that we love them, we value them, Jesus, you love them, we value them. Um, and God, you've orchestrated uh, your church and you've ordained how we function uh, in a way that we'd be a complementary team, that uh, husbands and wives would, would be a team, that, that men and women in the church would serve as a team, and that together through the home and to the church that we'd be a blessing to the city, that the city would be transformed uh, by the church uh, and the homes of the Christians. Uh, who make up the church, that we be a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. May you, may, may you shine our light, uh, and may, may that glory reach the farthest depths of our city, and so that uh, many people know you, love you, and be transformed by you, Jesus.